Let's have an added word of prayer. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for that scripture. Thank you for your word that guides us all the way home. We pray that as we look at it, we'll see Jesus clearly. And if we haven't seen him clearly in some of these places before, we pray you reveal him clearly to us. Send the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This is called Staying Connected series. The goal this beginning of the year, at least sermonically, is to connect us to Christ each Sabbath that we come and give us something to take with us, or at least apply in our lives as we leave here. And we're going to look at the testimony of Jesus and how all of Scripture points to Him. If we would look for Him, we would find Him throughout the Scriptures. As I look at this $100 bill up on the screen, and I think about that story of that guy that came to me in the park (laughs) claiming to be Jesus, the question comes to your mind, how do you know true from false when there are so many opinions, when there are so many scholarly papers out there, when there are so many ideas about spirituality, how do we know the true from the false in these days? And you've heard the analogy of the, you don't look for the counterfeit money by looking at the counterfeit. You look at, for the counterfeit money by looking at the true, right? Look at this $100 bill, for instance. This is a newer one. I, I haven't seen very many $100 bills. I don't usually carry them around. But somebody gave me one a while back, and it had something interesting on it. It had a blue ribbon right down the middle of it there, etched right there in the, in the, the fabric of that bill was this symbol. And if you, you can't see it clearly, but there are, it's like a hologram. And you remember how I used to get those baseball cards, and now I'm dating myself a little bit, where you would turn them a certain way and the batter would swing? Well, you turn this a certain way and you see the number 100. And it keeps, you know, you can see it all the way up this right through here. And this this place where you get the ink out of there with the pen, it actually, if you turn it a certain way, it shows a picture inside of it. And over here, this glistens, and you turn the dollar bill over, and this part here, you can see Benjamin Franklin's face right in there. And behind here is a declaration of independence. And so this $100 bill, if you were to try to counterfeit this thing, you would have a whole lot of details that you would have to cover as far as to even begin to counterfeit this, this bill. And if even one of them was missing then you would know, as a banker or somebody who's checking that bill, that this is not the true bill. In fact, even if you only knew two or three of these indicators, you would be able to recognize a false bill over a true bill. If it didn't have that one watermark, everything else but this watermark over here, you would know that it was false. And so as I think of that and I think of the Christian walk, it reminds me of how we had those landmarks of prophecy meetings, doesn't it? how we were learning from Doug Batchelor and those who came and were were expressing it from night to night through different talks that we need to know the Bible. We need to have it as our rule of faith. And in in this new year, will we say we need it any less? We need it even more as we face the struggles that are ahead of us in this coming year. And I'd venture to say that as we looked at last week, The Word of God can speak to people who aren't even Christians and give them peace and give them hope. But how much more so us who believe that these words have been handed down to us at such a cost. Those of us who recommend this book to one another and who study it, surely God's Word speaks to us. And this morning I want to talk about how all of this book testifies of Jesus Christ. And if we just know him and we know the details of his ministry and his teaching, we could easily identify anything that would take us away from him. Revelation 12 says, the dragon was wroth with the woman and rage, went to make war with the rest of her seed or offspring, those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
Back in October, we talked about having the testimony means appreciating, holding dear the words that God has delivered through His prophets from the beginning of time in this book down to our time. Even our own modern prophet, we talk about Ellen White. And so we need to spend time with the book to appreciate it. We must spend time knowing it. And testimony of Jesus is linked to a prophetic spirit. Revelation 19 says that the testimony of Jesus is the prophetic spirit, or the spirit of prophecy. So that same spirit that guided those men to write and to those experiences we read about in the Bible there can guide us to understand and apply it to our lives today and will manifest itself in true gifts in the church in these last days. But we know Jesus talked about true and false Christ, true and false prophets. So even if something was to appear in our church, we would have to take and put it up against the standard of God's Word. Basically, what I'm going to tell you, and if we run out of time, feel free, I'll try to, I won't do what you all used to do, but I'll try to summarize this sermon down. If you know Jesus and His teachings, because the testimony of Jesus, you can't just say it's testimony, it's the testimony of Jesus. It's linked to Jesus. It points to Jesus. Then that means we must know Him and His teachings. And if we know Him and His teachings as a foundation, then we can avoid a whole lot of other deceptions in our world. Jesus Himself said it. He said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and I am known of mine. They know me. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father and lay down my life for the sheep and other sheep I have which are not of this fold. Who are those? This is not the immediate disciples. It's really talking about us. He's going to call us as well. And not only us, but people who are outside of our church. He's going to call them as well. They will hear my voice. There shall be one fold. They'll have this oneness and one shepherd. So what results in oneness? Hearing the voice or the words of Jesus. Not my words, not your words, his words. That's what results. And so the question I had as I read this was, okay, Murray, do you know his voice? Do you know his words? And if you claim to know his words, and yet you don't spend any time in his words, seeing how he interacts with people, seeing his miracles, seeing especially the closing scenes of his life, then do you truly know his words? This is our need at this time. God's church around the world needs to know Jesus' words and his teachings. This is not something new. This is something that the disciples themselves needed reminders of constantly when they were with him. He kept telling them things, and he says, there's even things I haven't told you yet that you can't even handle. And so even while he was with them, he was constantly reminding them of his words. Remember back when there he was in a mock trial taken before Sanhedrin, eventually stripped, beaten, mocked, crucified. And those disciples find an experience where they're reminded of his words, and that re-solidifies their faith in God. Look here in Luke chapter 24. The female disciples have witnessed to an empty tomb. Uh, unfortunately, though, people think that their witness was like, hey, there's, they had a vision of angels. He really didn't see angels. Peter and John then go run into the tomb, and John, of course, is faster. He gets there ahead of them, and they notice there's an empty tomb. And these disciples are processing all of this. Probably even rumors from, from what the soldiers experienced. And there are some disciples going along the road to Emmaus. And it says in Luke 24, verse 13, 
It was about three score furlongs from Jerusalem, so this distance from Jerusalem. And they, walked, they talked together of all these things which had happened. What things are they referring back to? The trial, they're referring back to the women saying that he's resurrected. Peter and John seeing the empty tomb. These things. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. This is King James Version. But as you look at it, there they are on the road. They're communing together. We get the word talked or homileo. Preachers, we like that word. We have a homiletical calendar, a, a calendar of talks about God. So they're talking about God. And as they're talking about God upon the way, their eyes are holding. They don't even see Jesus. And I thought, well, that's kind of strange. Did he somehow blind them? You know, the text, actually, if you keep reading, makes it clear. They are so focused on something else spiritually that they don't even see it. What are they focused on? The past, all the things that have happened so far. They're, they're just looking at that, and there Jesus is, and I imagine he comes up behind them, or beside them, and he didn't even have to be wearing some kind of cloak or somehow re revealing his features. He could just come up to them, and they were so focused on what they were focused on that they didn't even see him. He's so near, and yet in their hearts so far away. And it said, he said unto them, what manner of communications are these? So there he is, he's eavesdropping. He hears them talking. They're little mini-sermons to each other about everything in the past. Words. And he says, as you walk, you're so sad. And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered, saying to him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which have come to pass here in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. So you know now the content of what their conversation was before Jesus appeared there. They're sitting there talking. They're referring to what's happened with the disciples and, G and the female disciples. There's rumor of an empty tomb, but they're also reliving sad moments. Reliving the scenes of miraculous signs, but you notice they skip over his own words and they go just to the sad moments. Somehow they're not remembering all his words. How he was a person mighty indeed in miracles and how they delivered him up to be crucified. Notice how they just skip over all the teachings of Jesus and they're focused just on what emotionally is impacting them at the time. And so yeah, they referred to this in the text and they referred to this, but they forgot about all the words Jesus said to them. Surely those should have been coming to their mind and reminding them at the time. But once again, they were too focused on their own expectations. It says in verse 21, but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today's the third day since these things were done. We don't see him. It's the third day. Physically speaking, are you seeing Jesus in this new year right now? We're not really that far away from this experience, are we? We trust it. We read it. We trust the story is true. But you're in the same situation, and so am I, as they are. This year did not deal you everything that you felt like it should have dealt you, probably. But praise the Lord, you've gotten through it. And this is saying, where is your focus, really? They had trusted that he was going to somehow physically deliver them from the Romans, usher, usher in this time of peace and prosperity, 
but it was totally dashed when his life was taken. And when they found not his body, it goes on, certain women also of our company made us astonished. They were at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels. Now, it's almost as if they're even willing to explain away that one. It was a vision of angels. It really wasn't angels. Really? Which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even as the women had, but him they saw not. Focus is always on the negative here. All these sad things. Yeah, he was a marvelous teacher and all that, but he died. They, they saw visions of angels, they say, and supposedly they, they said he was alive, but they didn't see him when they got to the tomb. You notice they're just focusing on certain parts of what's going on, overlooking others. Have we ever done that? Have you ever had your hopes dashed or expectations that you thought were supposed to take place? All of a sudden, they didn't, things didn't take place the way you wanted it to. Oftentimes, it happens in relationships. A lot of times, even in a church. We expect certain things of other people, and it doesn't quite happen that way. And then if you notice here, the other question came to my mind, have we or I explained away evidence that was contrary to my belief? Somebody pointed out to me, and I'm willing to explain it away, just like they talked about these visions, or they said he was resurrected, but we didn't see him. We find ourselves in those type of situations. Their expectations and their experience is also ours. We have found ourselves, if we're truly honest, in their same situations. 2015 is upon us. As you look at this picture on the screen, this is a picture of Iceland and, and how they had these beautiful explosions of fireworks that look like volcanoes. They made it purposely like that. They made these fireworks shoot out of here and it was a beautiful display. And all these displays around the world, and yet our world lives with regrets from the previous year with sadness from the previous year, with a focus that oftentimes is finding its anchor in the past, and they're hoping that somehow their future will change. It's the same experience of those disciples prior to what's going to take place in a minute, prior to the ultimate miracle that's going to take place as we keep reading the text. So if we have any regrets, if we have any things that we look back to in 2014 and wish it never happened or wish it happened differently, we can find ourselves right there in the story. And the goal then is not to keep focusing on those things that have happened, but to focus on a hopeful future. Isn't that what he said through the Old Testament? I've come to give you a future and a hope. Then that's exactly what Jesus does. And you notice this picture, he doesn't have the cloak over his head. He's going to open up their eyes and their understanding. Look at the text. Then he said to them, O fools. And he's not using the word moron here in the Greek. He's using the word that somehow you're just not thinking. It's not that you're stupid or somehow not intellectual. It's that for whatever reason, you're, you're not focused where you should be. Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That's a key text, isn't it? And they drew nigh to the village where they were going, and he made as though he would have gone further. He is, he's wanting to notice, are they even noticing that he would be gone amongst them at that point? So what are we talking about? The prophets have spoken. The vision of angels has spoken. 
the teachings of every page of Scripture, all Scripture is speaking, and Jesus is saying they're all telling you exactly what you should be seeing. Quit focusing on these other things. Focus on what all the prophets have said concerning himself. So this isn't just to counteract deception or to tr- tell a true from a counterfeit. This is to, for us to stay connected to him is to see him throughout all the scriptures. To see that all the scriptures testify of him and in that way the scriptures are a testimony of Jesus. All of them. He goes on, he repeats the same method in the upper room later on to the disheartened disciples who are locking themselves in the upper room. He comes right amongst them and he uses the same method in verse 44. Shows them throughout all the scriptures that things concerning himself. When you read the Old Testament, and there's a Bible reading plan out there, you'll start in Genesis on one of them. Another one I, we're, we have, we'll have in your bulletin, it's already there, it doesn't start there. But even if you started in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, you should see him throughout that whole reading. And maybe if, maybe if we went ahead and, and started our Bible reading plans in January with the idea of, let me see Jesus throughout this whole thing, it might change the fact that it's more than a checklist to check one thing off and another. At least it has for me. And Talbot goes on, she says it this way. We read this for our study group back when I first got here. In this passage, Jesus provides the best interpretive rule. What is that? All the law of Moses and the prophets are about him. All of them. She comments further, it is possible to read the scriptures and still have our minds closed. In other words, not beholding him. He could literally be walking away from us, and we wouldn't even notice. God forbid that. All the scriptures point to Jesus. And what's the result of his method? It says that their hearts burned within them. They constrained him, saying, No, stay with us, for it is toward evening. The day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat or meal with them, he took bread and blessed it, and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened. What caused the switch? the light bulb to come on. It was he showed them all these things in the scriptures concerning himself. That's what caused the switch to take place. Not that all of a sudden he pulled his cloak off, but now all of a sudden it's almost like the scriptures have reminded them of what Jesus was really like, reminded them of what he did and his actions. And now as he's breaking bread and blessing it, which is an everyday occurrence, really, if you're a disciple of Christ, you're with him every day and you see him do that, it's like all the puzzle pieces come together And it dawns on them, wait a minute, this is Jesus. Not that he had closed their eyes, but they themselves were not looking. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? Because he vanishes from their sight. While he talked with us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, they tell you exactly how the change took place, and it's the scriptures. And so their hearts burned within them. This is a deep passion. This is a type of passion that if, if you had to give anything to show your commitment to somebody else, you'd be willing to give even your life. Paul says that even if I am burned as a martyr, he uses the word burn that's similar to this word, not pyros or, or fire, but he uses the word, this idea of a deep commitment that results in your death. Somehow this focus on Christ brought about a reminder of that deep commitment that they had made to him. Yeah, even if you go to the cross, 
right? None of them did. None of them died for Christ. But now all of a sudden, that same passion, that desire is right back in their hearts again. You ever lost that before? You ever find yourself going through motions? You even come to church week after week, place something in the offering plate, leave this place, have a small group, but there's something missing? That's because there's someone missing. And so that passion was restored. And now, for those of you who like a structure, here's a structure. Verses 13 to 16, you find that sad sight. Verses 17 through 30, he opens up the scriptures, and that's really the turning point. And then we find something takes place. Their spiritual sight is restored. They realize that Jesus is not dead, that he is risen. The reason why this book feels so dead to some people is because they don't see Jesus in it. If you see a risen Savior and how the Scriptures testify of this risen Savior, then this book will take on a whole new meaning. But if it's just going through the motions, reading your Sabbath school lesson, which is not bad to do, reading other books that point you to to the Word of God, but there's no Jesus in it. I'm going to venture to say that eventually you're going to worship a false Christ. You will have a counterfeit. And you'll become like that counterfeit. And then some people will notice and maybe even mention it to you and you'll keep on believing that contrary to things that are shown to you in the scriptures because of a twisted view of God. There are two extremes in our church. There are those who want to introduce spiritual formation ideas that take us away from from each other and divide us. And then there are those who want to go to an opposite extreme where in essence you're just going through the motions. Both of those camps are wrong. We need to focus on the Scriptures and on Jesus Christ. He isn't dead. He is alive. Or we wouldn't be breathing right now. This world would have long self-destructed if Jesus hadn't come into the scene of history. When He did, and all the different things of mercy that have resulted because of His life, this world would not be here today. He is resurrected. He is alive. And that's why we are here. So do we need this road to Emmaus experience at our church. We do. And now I'm going to show you why. And this is our answer for our young people. Revelation 3. Notice this is uh, where we're going to wrap it up here in a minute. Revelation 3 describes what I believe is the last day church. And this is why I believe that. I threw it up on the screen. Number one, the message that's spoken to this church is spoken right before a throne judgment occurs. Okay? Judgment and a throne is about ready to occur in this chapter, right after these words, especially in chapter 4. And that judgment in Revelation 4 is a judgment of the earth. And so this must be the last day church then, or at least something that they're going through. And so as you read this, and you're familiar with some of this probably, the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's Jesus. These are His words. At the end of time, Jesus comes and tries to deliver words from His mouth to the church. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's a whole sermon right there on vomit and spit. But nonetheless, notice at a certain point, these people are no longer part of the body of Christ because they're not heeding his words. 
So it comes out of his mouth, which means it's no longer part of his body. That's the result of those who don't heed this message. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, have need of nothing, do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. You don't see your true condition. You see what you've made yourself, fabricated yourself up to be. But he's saying you need to see your true condition. I counsel you to buy from me, that's Jesus, gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. We have the same seeing problem that those disciples did on that road. And it can be solved simply by this one text, looking to Jesus. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone hears my voice? Hey, there's that voice. That means you've got to hear his words. Here's my voice and opens the door. I will come into him, dine with him, he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. Also, as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has ears to ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's all about hearing the words, and that is actually where overcoming begins, is by spending the time to hear the words of Christ. So we look closely at that text. To hear his voice, we saw in John 10, means to know his words. He said, my sheep know my voice. That was both to the disciples of that day, but those who were afar off. That's us. And so the church at the end is described as hearing the words of Jesus and knowing him. And don't say there's no room for doctrine in all of that. There's plenty of room for doctrine in all of that. Jesus is throughout all the doctrines, all the 28 fundamental beliefs. He's right there. He's throughout every page of Revelation and Daniel. You're going to find him everywhere if you look for him. And so the church knows Jesus. And the result is oneness. We saw that a while back. In our families, in our churches, at the end of time, and eventually we all unite with him forever. We truly followed his words and followed him all the way and followed the lamb. That's what Revelation says. They follow the lamb wherever he goes. Then we unite with him in the sky and we are in that beautiful, glorious Canaan land that we were saying about earlier this morning. You guys expressed in your vision statement a desire to continue that theme. That's why I'm preaching on it this morning and not because necessarily just your desire, but my desire is to keep pointing us as a group to Christ. That's how we're going to accomplish that mission over there. Not by us. Not individuals. Corporally focusing on Him. So how do we hear His voice? How do we know Him? How do we have oneness? Each one of those could be a whole sermon in itself. Quotation summarizes it. The cause of division and discord in families and in the church is separation from Christ. When we're not tenderhearted and kind to one another, usually there's some pride or something to God in there between us and our spouse. I've been there, you've been there. It's not just put on any facade. That's the way it is. It happens. And the reason why it happens is because one of us or both of us have separated from Christ in a relationship. And what's the goal? To come near to Christ is to come near to one another. If we, didn't behold, if we go ahead and behold how kind He is, then we begin to treat each other that way. The secret of true unity in the church and in the family is not diplomacy, not management. I would wish it could be. I like managing things and scheduling things and planning things, but it's not that. It's not superhuman effort. What is it? Union with Christ. Not that we shouldn't do much of that, but it's union with Christ that brings about unity and oneness. Picture a large circle, Ellen White says, from the edge of which are many lines all running toward the center. The nearer these lines approach the center, the nearer they are to one another. 
Thus it is in the Christian life. The closer we come to Christ, so there's that circle, the nearer we shall be to one another. So this challenge for the new year is to draw closer to Christ. Hear His words, apply them to our lives, and then as we take a look in the mirror ourselves, we then treat others differently. It can happen that way. So that begins for me in my devotional time. And in my devotional time, I want to come closer to Christ. And specifically, how do I do that? It develops some kind of methodology then that brings me closer to Christ. I'm not perfect, neither are you, but I've developed a methodology that has begun, and I'm going to be, redo it again. Whenever I feel far away from Christ, I always go back to the closing scenes of his ministry. And so I decided to write down what I was doing that helped reignite my heart. Now, I'm not saying it'll work for you, but if it does, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And it's this little piece of paper there in your Bible, or in your, in your uh, bulletin that can go into your Bible. And it's just, I just, what I do is I begin with a song about the cross. My little girl knows the song. It's called Christ is Enough. It's by Hillsong Acoustic. And it goes through, and Christ is my all in all, my devotion. Okay? And sometimes I sing at the cross. Or I begin with a focus on the cross, especially when I feel far from him. That's what they felt like on the road. Then I thank him. I say, God, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. Help me to see it. And there I am sitting on my own with my, usually my computer or my Bible there. And I begin to do a reading. And this new year, I'm going to start off tomorrow, Matthew 21 through 22. And then after I read that, and I know it's not enough room to type it over here, but I've got this on my computer, and I just type a few notes over here of what really stood out for me in the text. And that doesn't become sermon material usually. That usually just something that I look back to later on and say, Lord, you really spoke to me in Matthew 21 about this. And you drove out the people in the temple, or whatever it was. And I thought, what is it you need to drive out in my life? Jesus. And so that goes through, and it starts in Matthew. And beginning next Sabbath, I'll be preaching on Matthew. And then the Sabbath after that, I'll be preaching on Mark. And then Luke, you find it's going to continue down like that. Whenever I preach, I'm following this. And you get onto the back there, and you're going to find... We get into Desire of Ages. Now, I don't know, that's, some of you might not have that book. You can see the library or you can talk to me and I'll get you a copy. I want to see the closing scenes there as well. And then I go over and say, okay, now I've seen the closing areas. And now in week nine, I'm going to go ahead and look at Steps to Christ. Now, what does it look like if I want to be a disciple of Jesus? I've seen him. Now I want to be a disciple for the rest of this year. And so I go to Steps to Christ. And then I say, now I'm going to go back and do the Old Testament. Follow that. Now I'm going to go back and redo the Old Testament. And there's plans for that in there. If that's helpful, use it. Otherwise, use something that points you to Christ in your own way. And so we must stay connected. Get those guides if you want to use them. If you want to get the writings of Ellen White and read them, that's the Desire of Ages book and Steps to Christ. You can go to that website right there, or you can see us in the library or in the office, and we'll we'll get you a copy of that. So I believe if we stay connected, it'll connect us to each other, and we will then unitedly follow the Lamb. But we still have a choice. As I look at the words of Jesus, I look at his life. Who am I in this picture? You know, Am I like the little children who are coming to him excited, wanting to see him and hear his words, and the adults who are just on the edge of their seats? Or am I like this guy over here just pondering and ready to jump on him? You know, Who am I in this story? Whenever I read the stories of Jesus, I say, who am I in this story? I want to be the one that's close to him in the story. I want to be the one who sees Jesus throughout the Bible and sees the cross popping up all over the place. I want to see him as a risen Savior who's coming soon. I want to 
focus on all of that as I read the scriptures this year. And openly I want to remember that he's a great friend. And you can imagine the power of that process. This is uh, Joni Erickson up on the screen here. Some of you have heard her story. It goes like this. Joni was young, beautiful, vivacious, athletic, but she struck a rock one day when she dived into a lake. Paralysis resulted, and then she is now a quadriplegic. Joni realized how helpless she was, and one desperate night she begged a friend to give her some pills so she could die. When her friend refused, she thought, I can't even kill myself on my own. At first, life was a hell for her. Pain, rage, bitterness, and emotional pain shook her spirit. Although she couldn't really feel physical pain, piercing sensations racked her nerves and ran through her body. This went on for three years. Then one night, a dramatic change began. This now makes her beautiful, radiant Christian that she is. Her best friend, Cindy, was at her bedside, searching desperately for some way to encourage her. It must have come from the Holy Spirit, for she suddenly blurted out, Joni, Jesus knows how you feel. You're not the only one who's been paralyzed. He was paralyzed too. Imagine a friend telling you that. He's been through your situation. You don't think so, but uh, follow this. Joni glared at her. Cindy, what are you talking about? Can you imagine the feelings you would have if somebody said, he knows exactly what you're going through, right? We've all been there. Someone dies, he knows exactly. All right, just pause. Analyze this. It's true, it's true, Joni. Remember, he was nailed to the cross. His back was raw from beatings like your back sometimes gets raw. Oh, he must have longed to move, to change his position, to redistribute his weight somehow. But he couldn't move, Joni. He knows how you feel. He couldn't move except for at great pain. He knows how you feel. That was the beginning as Cindy's words gripped her. She had never thought of it before. God's son had felt the piercing sensation that racked her body. God's son knew the helplessness that she now suffered. She later said, quote, God became incredibly close to me. I had seen what a difference the love shown me by friends and family had made. I began to realize that God also loved me. Paralyzed in her situation, and yet it was her friend who pointed her to the simple thing of the cross that changed it for her. Could that also happen for us? No matter what situation you find yourself in, whether it's loneliness, whether it's been some abuse, whether it's been some kind of spiritual drought, whatever it is, or physically, Jesus does care for you. He does know what you're going through. She went on to become an advocate for disabled individuals, but she also began to paint, you know the story, with her teeth, a, tooth, a brush right in her teeth. And it's amazing to think. And she became an overcomer, like Revelation 3 says, to those who look to the words of Jesus and follow him will become overcomers. That's exactly what happened to her. She, instead of allowing the situation to defeat her, she stuck that paintbrush right there between her teeth and began to paint pictures. Isn't her story ours as well? As feeble of an attempt as we do to try to worship God, it, it, we feel paralyzed sometimes, yet God could place that paintbrush between our teeth and we could paint something beautiful and get to the point where we see him. This is her painting, by the way. Imagine all those little details coming from somebody who sticks that paintbrush just right between the two, her front teeth. It's quite a friendship that she has with Jesus now. And it all began because her friend pointed her to the cross and said, that's where you need to go. What a friend you have in Jesus. Stay connected to him.
And so all Scripture is a testimony of Jesus. Take time with Him. Look into it. And if for some reason an experience has blocked your mind towards Him, take it to the cross and say, is this is something you've gone through, Jesus? Help me to see that and lay it there at your feet. Father in heaven, we're thankful for this friendship that you offered each one of us. You say in Revelation 3 to each one of us here who want to hear your voice, that you knock, that you will come in not only to our hearts, but to our homes, to our families, to our church, to our community around us. If we will just see Jesus, hear his voice, and open up to him. We pray that we will do that not only today, but throughout this new year. We trust our hearts to you now. We give them to you. We ask you to guide us to stay focused and stay connected with you. And we look forward to the day when the testimony of Jesus that's written down here in your word will become a reality and we will see you face to face. Thank you for being our friend and thank you for guiding us each step of the journey. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.